This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. The recent cyber attack on Canadian retailer Indigo has served as a reminder for how disruptive such invasions can be in a world so reliant on a digital footprint. But what happens when those attacks disrupt the operations of governments, even small ones? I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Emma McPhee, a reporter for Brunswick News, joins me to discuss how a similar ransomware attack affected the city of St. John, what can make a government vulnerable, and what we all have to be wary of when it comes to cybersecurity. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So Emma, on November 13th, 2020, the city of St. John, New Brunswick was hit by cyber attackers. What happened that night? Well, we don't actually know a lot of details about what happened that night. What we do know, most of it's been through um, documents obtained through a right to information request. Um, But it was a Friday the 13th in 2020 in November. Um, And that was the first day city IT staff realized something was going on on the city of St. John's network. The city did not publicly acknowledge the attack until November 15th. Um, and that was a Sunday evening. Um, I think every, uh, hopefully most journalists were enjoying a nice quiet evening. And then lo and behold, uh, we get an email that was not sent from the city, but a government of New Brunswick email address from the Department of Justice and Public Safety saying, we're sending this email on behalf of the city. Their website is down. Um, more details to come. Uh, from what we do know on November 13th, when they realized that there was an attack, they shut down network connectivity the city of St. John website, anything to do with the St. John police force, um, their online presence went dark and the spillover effects, they were really just beginning. What do we know about the attackers and, and what they were looking for in terms of a ransom? As I assume they were probably looking for ransom as is common in these cases. Yes, we learned months later that it was a ran. Well, we learned a few days later, sorry, that it was a ransomware attack. Months later, we learned about the ransom amount. Um, so ransomware would be when they infiltrate the system and then hold everything hostage. They would say to the city, you need to pay X amount in order to get the system back. In the case of the city of St. John, it was a request of $17 million in Bitcoin. And just as a little bit of background, we're talking about a city population around 70,000. They had just gone through a lot of cuts to remove a projected $10 million deficit. We were in the throes of the pandemic. All municipalities were facing um, financial challenges due to that. Um, the city of St. John, $17 million would have been about 10% of their operating budget that year. It was a big ask. 
they didn't ultimately pay it. They they chose to um, go about recovery in another way. And ultimately, how long did the attack last? Or because they didn't pay the ransom that they just essentially had to decide we're just going to rebuild everything from scratch. Right. So the the attack actually was discovered on November 13th, but the hackers would have infiltrated the system on October 28th. And then from what we have learned through documents from the city, the attack started in the beginning stages, November 3rd, 4th. It really ramped up on the 13th when it was noticed. So there was a couple of weeks there where the system was under attack and nobody realized. Now, once everything was shut down, when they realized there was an attack, they went into recovery efforts. They decided not to pay the ransomware, um, which meant they had to rebuild from the ground up. They launched their new network with a website um, in February. So about three to four months later, they had rebuilt the, the major things they needed from the ground up. But full recovery would, would take a couple of years. It wasn't until the end of 2022 that all the back, like, behind-the-scenes systems and applications were fully restored. So essentially you had a city that wasn't able to offer all of its services for several months and it wasn't fully back to normal for a couple of years, right? Like, what were some of the effects that this attack had on the city? I assume it just went beyond the city and police websites being shut down. Right. So immediately, um, the city did inform the public they weren't going to be able to do any online payments. So for a few weeks, you weren't able to pay your, if you had a parking ticket or if you need to make a water payment, that couldn't be done online. Um, They weren't issuing late fees for that. But it went beyond just that. Um, I know court cases faced delays when there couldn't be email conversation or access to things that had been on online systems that made challenges for discovery and having um, exhibits um, in, in, in the court system. So there were delays there. A lot of things had to go back to being manual. If you have phones down, you don't have emails. Things like building permits, there were delays um, in those being issued. Uh, so the effects were wide-reaching. And even just as journalists going about our job trying to cover the city of St. John, for weeks, months, we would be getting responses back due to the, the cyber attack. We can't get you this information now. Um, so it, it kind of became a bit of a joke in their newsroom. Oh, they're blaming the cyber attack again. But of course, like there were real issues that were preventing them from accessing data. So it's been a a couple of years since the attack happened, and you said it took them nearly two years to get everything back to normal. You say they had to kind of rebuild everything from the ground up. What did that entail? Uh, Well, to be honest, I don't know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but the public facing website had to be completely rebuilt. And I know they had done a complete switch to having to do things the old, I guess, quote unquote, the old fashioned way using paper um, instead of things digitally. So they would have had to set those systems up again. From what we have learned uh, over, you know, months of things trickling out to the public through official channels, it it involved the encryption of most of their Windows-based servers and devices. Um, And you hear anecdotes from the the mayor of of St. John that uh, they needed to turn in their iPads, some laptops in in the days that followed so those things could all be checked out. We'll be right back. What do we know about the group 
that launched this attack? Was it, you know, was it Canadian based? Was it international? Like how big a group is it? Do they have a track record of doing this? What have we learned about these cyber attackers since this attack happened? So from what we've learned through, um, again, city documents that we had to to get through our right to information request, it was a Russian described in the documents as mafia group called Ryuk. Um, they've been around, it's believed, since 2018 and are responsible around the world for a number of ransomware attacks, I believe, including someone uh, like hospitals and healthcare. So, you know, it wasn't a small unknown group, but it is a, a known name within the cybersecurity world. Now, some listeners may be thinking, why St. John? It doesn't seem like an obvious target. It's a small city, not a lot of people, presumably not a lot of resources to pay a large ransom. Or is a small city like this an ideal target because their systems may not be up to preventing an incursion like this? Right. So from what I understand from speaking to experts, cyber criminals tend to be indiscriminate. You know, they're going to just try to find try to, you know, through a phishing email, infiltrate an online network, see if they can get a ransom back. Um, in 2018 and 2019, there were a number of smaller municipalities in Ontario, for instance, that had gone through cyber attacks. Some paid ransom, some didn't. So it's not uncommon to see a municipality be targeted. It depends on things, whether they have cyber insurance, what kind of funds they have at their disposal. If the ransom is looking like it's going to be less than a complete system rebuild, maybe you'll be more interested in paying the ransom. In the case of the city of St. John, the ransom was for $17 million. The cost of rebuilding the network from the ground up came in at $2.9 million, and they said they expected to have 85% of that covered by insurance. So it was really much cheaper to do the rebuild. The only issue was it took a lot more time, whereas if you paid the cyber criminals, what they say they're going to do is return your system and then you can just go from there. It's, you know, maybe a matter of days or weeks versus in the case of the city of St. John months to rebuild to years. How common are attacks like this? And and what do institutions like a city or like a, a post-secondary school, what do they have to be wary of? Yeah, the uh, attacks from the research I've done and the experts I've spoken to are are increasing. I believe it was in, in 2020, the year the attack happened. Um, on St. John, worldwide ransomware attacks were up something like 151%. So they are growing. I guess from what I understand, you know, larger companies, larger businesses could have a very robust um, protection system against cyber criminals. But it ultimately comes down to the weakest link, which is people. In the case of the city of St. John, what we found through, through city documents is the attack happened through a phishing email. Um, and they make mention of it, there was use of an Excel file. So it could be someone received an email, wasn't thinking, input it, input a uh, password, and then the, the criminals have a way in. So it's, it's about training as well as, you know, paying for um, protected systems. When you're looking at the cost of something like this, what kind of cost does a ransomware attack have for an organization or institution, whether it's the ransom? And I am curious how often a ransom is paid. Um, or other costs, whether it's rebuilding systems or cost to even the reputation and what that can do for for business. I, I think of chapters recently and their and their big cyber attack and and they were unable to offer offer services to their customers for a period that has to hurt a reputation. So for something like a city or a university, I, I imagine that's similar. So what is the cost for an organization when something like this happens? 
Well, well, first of all, according to um, uh, 2022 Cyber Trend Study, it was published by Blake Castles and Graydon. They're a firm that uh, you know kind of acts as a guide for for uh, companies dealing with cyber attacks. They found that ransom was paid was paid in 56 percent of incidents in 2021. So the majority of in- incidents actually. Um, resulted in ransom being paid. Ransom, the amount that's asked varies. Uh, I know in the case of the city of St. John, that $17 million figure I gave you actually was what the Bitcoin they were demanding was worth on at that time in November. Months later, when they had said the amount, I think it had risen to something like $46 million. So, you know, it depends on how much cryptocurrency is worth at the time. But, um, Speaking to some experts, they told me that it's more common to see ransoms around the $500,000 mark, but it could be as high as 40 to $60 million. And then, of course, you're right. We talk about the financial impact, and there certainly can be a, is a financial impact. But the other impacts, like the amount of time it takes to rebuild and how it impacts your customers or the, the, the trust from your customers, those impacts really can't be quantified, perhaps monetarily. And... and uh, Obviously, there with the city of St. John, there was no indication that personal information was breached. They've maintained that throughout. But other cases we hear about, there there are. And you mentioned uh, the, the Indigo attack. They chose not to pay the ransom, but there was an impact on their employees by doing that. Now, I got to imagine that it's not just businesses that are vulnerable here. I mean, there when companies are attacked, there's the potential for individuals' personal information, customers' personal information, but are there other places where we're vulnerable? Like I I think of people who work from home, you know, if they don't have proper VPN security, things like that. Are those kind of places where where attacks can also get a foothold? Mm -hmm, For sure. And and that's something that came across in um, some of the people I've interviewed on this topic, especially now, um, you know, during the pandemic and now that we're out of pandemic restrictions, there are still more people working from home. Um, And your home networks aren't built like a company's network. You probably don't have the same level of protection in place. Um, and, And some of the advice given is, you know, Perhaps it's best if you do get a virtual private network at your home. That's also called a VPN. People who don't know the protected network that keeps your online identity hidden. That's encouraged if you're working from home. Um, it's also just good practice to not clip on links from emails you don't recognize and don't open documents unless you know it's from a trusted sender. And it's always good to double check because sometimes these cyber criminals will try to mask their email addresses to, to appear legitimate. So it, it's it, it's good to individuals to have good cybersecurity practices and not just depend, even if you are working in an office, not just depend on the, the system that's there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something definitely we all need to be wary of, and it's a fascinating case study of, of how these attacks can happen. Emma, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Emma McPhee. You can find our whole cybersecurity series at financialpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <music>